Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I counted it up. Counted it up. It's number 70. We had it right. I usually, I, I really do usually screw this up more often than I have this offseason. I guess my counting game is on point this offseason. Offseason episode number 70 today, friends of the program. Yes, yes, 70 offseason episodes. Sometimes, and this is not meant as a slight, by the way, to anybody that hosts a podcast in any capacity, because this is not easy. Uh, but daily is a grind. Like, sometimes I see folks celebrating their 100th episode. I'm like, dude, I do that in an off season. But I actually think it's, I think it's cool. I actually really like what, this is a cool time actually to be, to be listening to audio content. Video content too, although, you know, not everybody's great at it. Myself included. I'm quite bad when it comes to video content. I think I'm pretty good with audio Done it for a long time, that whole deal. I'm I'm badly overmatched by video. I'm awkward on camera. I don't know where to look. I have, for years, between play-by-play and now a fantasy podcast and a gambling podcast, I've done audio. So when I'm talking, I can look at 25 different web tabs. I can move around. I can take a drink. I can do whatever. Eat an Oreo cookie. I have done that. You can't do that stuff on a video. You look like an insane person. If I'm like, my eyes are darting all over the place and receding hairline coming through, bright and shiny on camera. Yeah, I'll, uh, I like me some audio. I'm, I'm good on that front. But uh, anyway, thank you again. I got to do it every episode this offseason because I just continue to be blown away. This is kind of officially the halfway point of the month because... You know, uh, halfway through Saturday, I guess, would actually be the halfway point of the month. But we don't do an episode on Saturday or Sunday. So this will be the 11th episode we've dropped in July. There will be 10 more. So we're actually a little half, a little past it by that account. Doesn't matter. Point is, July is on pace to beat June, which was already our biggest off-season no-news month ever. And it's getting better. You're all the best. If there are any new listeners out there, welcome. Love you guys. Welcome aboard. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. My name is Dan Bespris. And this is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Sports, E-T-H-O-S. That's how you spell ethos.com. Ethos Fantasy BK. You guys know the drill at this point. Follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Let's get rolling. It is... It's a weird time uh, because... First of all, you guys know what we've been working on here the last little bit. If there's anybody that's listening today for the first time ever, awesome. I would strongly advise going back, if you have the time to do so, starting on last Friday's episode and listening to the five shows leading up to today. Because for the last five episodes, we've been going through Yahoo's ADP markers and comparing that to the final ranks, both by totals and on a per-game basis, of the top 100 players drafted last year, which, again, bit of an arbitrary number. There were reasons to go deeper than 100. But there's only so many episodes I can I can dedicate to something this dry without feeling like I am torturing you into listening to the podcast. 
I could probably talk about it for another two weeks, but that's a bit much. Hey, listen, I didn't get that pedantic review on iTunes for nothing. I didn't briefly use the name pedantic on Twitter for nothing. But that would be a bit much even for me. And I know that for everybody who listens every day, you guys probably hate this part of the show, but I do want to briefly go through what we've determined from last year's data so far. And the quick version, best I can do it, is Nikola Jokic is in a class all by himself. Even with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back, Jokic starts everything on that team. He won't have to do quite as much, but who cares? He's more durable than the other players at the top of the fantasy ladder. He played six more games than Joel Embiid, same number of games as Carl Anthony Towns, and his per-game production was nearly 20% better than the number two player. That was Kevin Durant. So by totals, Jokic was a solid, roughly 50% better than the number two player. So even if there's a drop-off there, it's probably not enough to drop him back into the pack. The second chunk, which is what we worked out on Monday, uh, or was that Friday of last week? I actually don't remember where we, how we got to that stuff. I think that was Friday. Last Friday. The second chunk, now... More than ever before that I can remember, and admittedly I didn't go this deep into these numbers until I started working with HoopBall and now Sports Ethos. Prior to that, I just played a whole hell of a lot of fantasy and liked to talk to myself on air about mostly baseball at that point. Typically, we have, at least again since I've started this podcast, there's been a top group. The first three or four guys there's a battle. Who goes first, second, third, fourth? What order do you have them in? This is a discussion that happens every year leading up to fantasy drafts. Last two seasons now, it's been, who's your group behind Nikola Jokic? And that'll probably be the case again for this coming year. But what changed this season, or perhaps you could make the argument it changed the previous year, I don't think it did necessarily, but... It's not completely out of the question. How big is the group behind Jokic? Even as recently as last season, the 72-gamer, the planned 72-gamer, not the oopsies 72-gamer, the planned 72-gamer, Jokic was number one. This is by totals, by the way, because that's actually kind of what matters at the top of the draft. Per game is not that helpful if your guy plays in, in 50 games out of 82. Looking, looking at you, uh, how many did KD play this year? 55? Yeah. I mean, great, he was number two per game, but end of the first round by totals. Looking at you, Anthony Davis. In the turn, per game, not close, 41 games played. Sorry. Easy to get sidetracked when you're talking to yourself every day. Even as recently as last year, the planned 72-gamer, it was Jokic at number one, basically 40% ahead of anybody else. And then Steph, Dame, and Vooch, believe it or not, two, three, and four were kind of by themselves. And if you look at it at a per-game perspective, it was Jokic, and then the second player was clearly Steph, 
And then there was a third group that was Kyrie, Embiid, Harden, Kawhi, KD, Jimmy Butler, Dame. That was like, it was group one was one player, group two was one player, and group three was seven players. Well, what we've seen happen now for this year is that specifically by totals, because that's been mostly because a lot of these guys in the first round missed half a damn season. You can look at it on a per-game basis. And per-game, Jokic was clearly number one. KD, Joel Embiid were kind of in a group number two. And then LeBron, Kyrie, believe it or not, in his 29 games played, uh, Steph, Cat, DeJounte Murray, Giannis, AD, Trey, James Harden, Time Lord, like almost all of those guys you could almost argue were in the next grouping per game. But if you really wanted to make delineations, you'd say LeBron and Kyrie were in the third group. Steph, Cat, Murray, Giannis, AD, Trey, something like that. Nah, probably not as far as maybe Steph, Cat, DeJounte were the next one. It's too hard. It's too hard and it's wrong. That's the bigger issue. It's not right. Because once you start to factor in how many games missed a lot of those players had that I just listed off, they're nowhere near their per-game ranks. It's not even in the vicinity. Because, you know, KD, 55 games. LeBron, 56. Kyrie, 29. AD, 41. And then on the... Steph, 64, he was under the mark, not by a ton. And then you had kind of the flip side of that, of Cat at 74, Trey at 76. And then you had DeJounte, Giannis, Harden. Those guys were right around league average. So when you adjust for all of that, which we've talked about a thousand times on this podcast, you need your top picks to play. The second group, by totals this year... Well, yeah, there was an order to it. Embiid, Cat, Trey, Tatum, DeJounte, Halliburton, LaMelo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Miles Bridges was in there. Now, he played in 80 games, so there was a little bit of a puffing there, but you guys get the idea. These names, KD, Steph, Harden, that next group, any one of them could have been number two. Because if Embiid misses six more games, which... Bam, we figured he would. He wouldn't have been number two. He'd have fallen down to four or five. If Cat misses four or five more games, he falls behind. Trey, same story. Tatum, same story. It isn't like the previous year where it was built on per-game production. This year, the first round was pretty much built on games played. And so when you look at it from that perspective and then you flip it back and look at the per-game stuff, you can make a pretty reasonable argument that almost anybody, as as it turned out, like from 2 to 10, or you could maybe even go a little bit farther, could have been the number 2 player in fantasy. What we learned on Monday's show of this week was that the next group of players was an extraordinarily risky high upside group that was pretty much drafted in that kind of 11 through 20 four, five range was drafted in slide of a sliding scale of the guys near the top were drafted based either on the notion that could be a mid first round pick or that they were hyper durable. And the sliding scale kind of pulls back towards, you know, the guys at the end of that of like a Rudy Gobert, someone that we liked a lot. 
was going to just sort of coast along, was never going to be a first-round guy per game. Maybe there's a little bit of durability upside if everything fell into place, but even if it doesn't, safe second-rounder. I think that was Monday's show. Tuesday's show, we talked a little bit about some of those guys I just mentioned, Donovan Mitchell, Freddie Van Vliet, Gobert, Booker, LaMelo Ball, and how they did kind of fall into the upper group that we didn't cover on Monday's show, but then also got into the back end of that 21 through 30. Westbrook, Porter Jr., Randall, Ayton, Shea, Gilgis, Alexander. These guys were very clearly the start of the next group, which extended all the way through Wednesday's show, 31 through 40, of an area that I not so affectionately called Hypeland. Guys taking swings... In the early to mid-third round, early to late third round, I should say, and then even to the early fourth, where value guys start to fall. And then on yesterday's show, we wrapped up actually 41 through 60 by kind of assessing this notion that after hype land comes post-hype land. I don't know what the best name is for it, but you had a lot of falling value guys. And you had some... Not enough hype land. All blended into this delightful mixture between 41 and 60 where there were quite a few big hits and very few big misses. Zion being the one noted exception there because he didn't play. Almost everybody that played in the 41 through 60 range was either a hit or a minor miss. And even the minor misses, one of them made up for it in durability. I know what you're thinking. Dan, Kyrie's in that run, and OG Ananobi's in that run. And yeah, these guys got hurt a little bit. But look, if you're looking at, like, did we have the handicap right on what these guys were going to do on the floor? The answer was generally, yeah. And I think this is an area that probably ends up holding a little bit season over season. I don't know that we can definitively say it's going to be 40 to 60. Because if I look back at last year at how this thing all shook itself out. Um, 40 through 60 was not perfect. But you still had hype land running before it. Like 25 through 40 was still hype land last year. It's just that post hype land uh, was kind of mixed in with a few just big flails. So it was almost there, but it was more like 49 to 65. So just a little bit farther back. Because last year, by the way, Christian Wood was an example of a big miss for a couple of years in a row. Um, Last year, uh, Mitchell Robinson had a bad year for whatever reason, injured a lot. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge fell off the map. That, by the way, example of too old. Um, Hassan Whiteside actually was probably the biggest issue in there. But overall, like this, that, that, that 40 to 60, 65 range is a pretty good spot. And we figured this out on yesterday's show, and we probably should have figured it out a year ago. But 
we're always kind of looking for when that the area of chaos kicks in. And that's, I think, what we're going to focus on on today's weekend, Friday weekend edition of the podcast. But I do want to hammer in the point from yesterday's show one more time that as we look towards this coming season and understanding what ADP actually means is something here because, you know, the, I put these guys in, a, in an order on my board. But the number, like Clint Capella was the 40th player drafted, but his ADP wasn't 40. It was like 41.2 or 39.2 or something like that. I lost it to the ether because Yahoo's now shut down their uh, their fantasy basketball page for about a month. That should, I think that comes back up in August. The reason I bring that up is... We'll look at these numbers for this coming season and we'll line the players up in a row. But the point is that 40 through 60, all we can really do is ballpark it. We can ballpark it. But it is a phenomenon that will continue. You're going to get the top crust. You're going to get the next ones. You're going to get the shooting for upside second rounders. You're going to get the however long you decide that one goes, then you're going to get the might as well take my shot, guys. People start grabbing near 30. And then when those buzz dudes come off the board, you're left with everybody that fell around farther than they should have. And then the question is, how many of those guys are there? So I think what we're actually witnessing is fifth rounders, basically, going in the third. And so... Your third-rounders go in the fourth. Your fourth-rounders go in the fifth. And then after the fifth, where, again, see if you can if you can picture this in your head, please. Assume that the fifth round, call the fifth round guys the buzz dudes. Those guys get artificially elevated to where the third should go, and they push the players that should go in the third and the fourth down the board. So 3-4-5 actually becomes 5-3-4. In the way it's ordered. It goes one, two, five, three, four. So then, at the end of the fifth round, it's the same 60 players off the board. They just kind of went in the wrong order. After that, let's get nuts. Because after that, it doesn't matter anymore. You take who you want, when you want. Let me just read off basically the next 20 names in a row because we're it, like the names don't even matter at this point. It was Brogdon, Kyle Lowry, uh, Isaiah Stewart, ugh, Colin Sexton, whoa, 64, geez, Gordon Hayward, Pascal Siakam, who went later because of injury, Derek White, D'Angelo Russell, Ben Simmons, oops, Darius Garland, who the other half of that Colin Sexton thing. By the way, what happens if every guard on a team goes down at the same time? Terry Rozier was at 71. I don't know why nobody believed in that. Uh, Jeremy Grant, Cade Cunningham, who, by the way, actually had an ADP, like, closer to 90. So this is where things are starting to clump a little bit. Bogdan Bogdanovich, Buddy Heald, Chris Boucher. That wasn't where he was when I was drafting. Jakob Pertl, Rob Covington, Kevin Porter Jr., Andrew Wiggins. And I know what you're thinking. Dan, you said a couple of good names in there. Yeah, I did. I did say a couple good names in there. Um, 
Siakam ended up having a really nice season despite coming off of injury, so pie in my face. Darius Garland played really well, especially once the road opened up for him. Rozier was one we liked a lot. Jeremy Grant, until he got shut down, was having a decent season. Covington ended up having a really good year. I didn't actually think it was going to be... He vastly exceeded what I thought he might be able to do. I figured he was going to be a, a kind of a little value play, and then he just blew it out of the water. Pirtle got off to a very slow start, came roaring back later in the season. So, like, there were a lot of pretty good names in there, and there were kind of an equal number of clunkers in there. Brogdon spent the year hurt. Uh, Lowry slightly underperformed. Not a disaster there by any stretch. Isaiah Stewart was terrible. Sexton was hurt. Hayward was hurt. Simmons never played. Will he ever play? I truly don't know. Jeremy Grant got shut down. Kevin Porter Jr. was a disaster that never should have gone there. Wiggins, typically durable, but also his per game suffered at mostly the hands of Jordan Poole. Figured with Clay out, Wiggins had a little bit of runway. He didn't, as it turned out. But the point is, at pick 61, you pretty much had an equal chance of getting a hit if you went with ADP 75 as if you went with ADP 61. And that's not to say that this coming draft at pick 61, you should be like, Dan told me to pick the guy ranked 75th. No, all I'm saying is that there is going to be a point that we will probably be able to isolate or get pretty close to during mock draft season from looking at drafts, from looking at ADP data, from looking at Yahoo's pre-rank data, from, as we talked about on, I think, yesterday's show or the one before, comparing the difference between ADP and where guys are going in expert mocks so you know kind of what direction they're moving. We put all that together with our buckets, and we'll have, I think, a pretty good idea of where the falling studs end. That's that post-hype group. The area we talked about, 40 through 60, that range. The not-enough-hype or the post-hype guys, the falling studs, they're all in that same group. After that comes no man's land. And I want to stress again, no man's land does not mean at pick 61, take the guy ranked 120th. But it also doesn't mean you can't. People are going to point at you and chuckle, but if that's the guy you really wanted, then... You know, F it. That's the guy you really wanted. The reason not to do that is more about game theory than it is about anything else. That is, you want to try to maximize the number of players you're targeting that actually end up on your team. If you have the 61st pick, taking the guy ranked 130th is dumb, not because that guy might not be a great pick. Maybe he is but because you could probably get him 24 picks later. If you're also targeting the guy pre-ranked 77, that's the guy you take with your 61st pick because that's the guy less likely to make it back to you because these ADPs come from actual drafts. Does it mean it's going to work every time? No, everything we do with fantasy is a probability game. The probability is higher that the guy with the ADP of 77 will go earlier in your draft than the guy with an ADP of 132. Is it 100% of the time? Absolutely not. At some point, in some draft, somewhere, the ADP 132 guy will go ahead of the ADP 77 guy. But it doesn't happen often. So game theory, in this instance, draft theory 
how do I maximize the number of guys on my list that also end up on my team, suggests there is a pattern to No Man's Land that you'll have to execute, and it might mean don't take the guy I have ranked the highest first. Take the guy that I have ranked almost the highest, who everybody else perhaps has ranked the highest first, and hope that my other guy gets back to me. We've done these types of shows before, and we will again this year as we get kind of into the how to draft part of the year. We're not there yet, but it it really does come into play maybe even more so in that 40 to 60 range where you really want to get those guys. Do Do I take them at 36? Maybe. I'd be more inclined to go dropping down out of the hype land than I am to go dropping way down into no man's land. Like, let's take real-world examples here. If you had pick number, well, let's see, 60 would be the end of the fifth round, so let's say you're kind of mid-pack. You have picked 66, middle of the sixth round coming back, and you want Terry Rozier, and you also want, uh, I don't know, crap. It's hard because I'm looking back at last year and trying to make sense of it all. Uh, And I also want... um, Maybe Rozier wasn't a good one to start with. I want Jakob Pertl, and I also want Marcus Smart. Um, Even if you think Smart ends up ahead of him, which he didn't, that's a stupid example too, you take the guy that you think is more likely to be gone when it gets back to you 12 picks later. Effectively that. Let me just read off the last 20 names on the board here, and then we can kind of put a pin in things for the weekend. Uh, Marcus Mart was the first one there. He's at 81. Then Norman Powell, Evan Mobley, Miles Bridges, Mitchell Robinson, P.J. Washington, Kemba Walker. Oops. Jalen Green, Mike Conley, Brooke Lopez, who played much better at the end of the year, by the way. Brooke Lopez, I'll say it again, possible target, possible old man squad. Possible logo for the old man squad. Karis LeVert at 91. Daniel Gafford, R.J. Barrett, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kelly Olynyk. Al Horford, Evan Fournier, Harrison Barnes, Devante Graham, and Jordan Poole. So again, this to point out, there were more hits in the 61 to 85 group than there were in the 86 to 100 group. And I do think some of that is by design because at a certain point, you exit the territory of starters, minutes, players in the NBA. There's 30 teams, and each team probably has about three guys on average that plays true starters minutes. So around pick 90, you're going to start picking at guys that might not play 30 minutes a ball game. Something else to keep in mind. There might be kind of two tiers to no man's land, which again, we will see. I think 90 is an area we should be keeping an eye on as we get towards all of this stuff next season. Starting next week, we will begin to sort some names. Slowly but surely, this is going to be a process. We're also going to analyze rumors kicking around in the NBA. Maybe we have some Donovan Mitchell stuff that comes out over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Maybe get into some early hype stuff, Chet Holmgren being one of it. Back half of July, it's the dog days, baby. But we're on the downslope. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today and Sports Ethos. Thank you all again for listening. It has been an unbelievably flattering offseason. And I hope, I hope that you guys are enjoying us as we dig into all this nerd bucket stuff. Have a great weekend. 
episode 71 coming up on Monday. We'll talk to you then.